the future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. Those were the words of the prophetic James Baldwin from the documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. Mm-hmm. And you're listening to Code Switch. I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji. And I'm Gene Demby. And this week we are talking about documentaries. In particular, the documentaries that are up for Oscars at the end of the month before this year, Shereen. Only yes. three black directors had ever been nominated for the Best Feature Documentary of the Oscars ever. That is bananas. Yeah, Gene, that seems crazy to me. But this year... It's different. The category is dominated by black directors. There's Raul Peck for I Am Not Your Negro, the James Baldwin documentary. After the break, we're going to talk with one of the people who helped get that made. Ezra Edelman, who you might remember we talked to him last summer. He was nominated for his intense eight-hour documentary, O.J., Made in America. One day, everybody's going to know everything that you've done, man. Roger Ross Williams got the nod for Life Animated, the only one of the four that doesn't deal directly with race in America. It's the story of an autistic child trying to find his voice through Disney movies. I've been scared my whole life of growing up. Peter Pan doesn't want to grow up because when you grow up, you lose all your magical and childhood times. And finally, Ava DuVernay for 13th, which is about mass incarceration in the United States. A little country with 5% of the world's population having 25% of the world's prisoners, one out of four, one out of four human beings with their hands on bars, shackled. That's Van Jones. Most of you probably know him from CNN. He's interviewed in 13th. Shereen, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Ava the first black woman director to have a documentary uh, nominated for an Oscar? You're right. I know you like hearing that. (laughs) Uh, That is a fact. And another fact is that I got to meet her a couple weekends ago for this podcast. So much hate in my blood. (laughs) So much hate in my blood. What was she like? What did she smell like? Uh, She smelled like Santal 33. What's that? I put money on it. It's a scent. People are wearing it right now. Let me get me some then. It smells amazing. So I can smell like Ava. But for those of you who don't know, Ava's doing all the things. Mm-hmm. So she was busy. You know, she's got publicity for 13th. She's got a production on the adaptation of the classic children's novel, A Wrinkle in Time. That film has a $100 million budget. She's the first yes. black woman to direct a movie that's that expensive. Right. No pressure there. And if that wasn't enough, she executive produces Queen Sugar, a TV series she created for Oprah's own network, Gene. 15 jobs. Seriously. <laughs> so many 10 jobs, jobs man. <laughs> But most people probably know her from the film Selma, which she directed. It was nominated for an Oscar two years ago. My personal favorite movie from Ava was this quiet little film called Middle of Nowhere. You should check it out. Ava and I talked about 13th, which, Gene, I would not describe as quiet. No, it is not. No. It forcefully makes the case that America's carceral system is inhumane and morally bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And it does so by taking the audience through 150. 50 years of American history where racism plays a starring role. And Ava told me that President Trump's labeling immigrants as criminals and talking about inner cities filled with thugs and gang members, that's rhetoric from a very old playbook. All of this is not new. That's one of the reasons why I feel like the 13th is important is because we need to learn from generations before us, people in countries other than ours who've been persecuted, who've been oppressed, who've been challenged um, in their very humanity. And I don't feel like we're in a place where in this country we haven't seen this kind of insidious work before. It's just been hidden. This one's on Twitter and he likes to talk about it. And so I think the interesting thing now is folks who um, are having to reckon with it being very in your face, but the actual work, the work to dismantle the liberty of certain kinds of people is not new. And I think that's the thing that we have to keep in mind, that all of us, people of color, marginalized people, have been able to endure, have been able to survive, have been able to thrive, and we will make it through this moment. We just have to remember the ways in which our ancestors and our predecessors made it through and take signals from them. 
Do you feel like we've taken steps back? I mean, there was a period where I felt like we were talking about mass incarceration. Wait, I have to back that up. So I keep saying we, mm -hmm. um, and my editor is like, you can't say we all the time. <laughs> okay, okay, back it up. Say it like <laughs> they want you to. Um, okay. So I feel like work has been done around organizing to face this issue of mass incarceration and do something about it, whether it is the Black Lives Matter movement saying this whole criminal justice system doesn't work and we need to dismantle it completely, whether it's, you know, Republicans are saying, well, economically, it, it's not working for us. Fiscally, it's just not smart. It felt like there was a bipartisan conversation happening around mass incarceration. And I'm wondering if even in the past couple months, that has just been I don't know, it's off in the corner or it's been silenced a little bit. How are you feeling about that? Um, yeah, there was a bipartisan conversation going on. It's, it's well put. It was, it was a conversation. I think the conversation is going to continue. And I think it's not going to be off into the corner because it makes too much money for too many people. And going back to history and learning from history and seeing the lessons in history, you have so much archival footage mm. in your documentary. Yeah. And I kept thinking... How many hours of this footage did you look at? One, can you answer that question? Yeah, it was a little over a thousand hours of racist, violent footage that my editor, Spencer Averick, and I looked through. The letters KKK were carved with a penknife on the chest and stomach of this man in Houston, Texas. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. It was not healthy to uh, look through that much. And for example, there's a, a sequence in the documentary with this man who actually reminds me of my father, my late father in a suit, just trying to pick up his hat and cross the street. Black man, very elegant, tall, um, just trying to get across the street when a racist mob is, is blocking him from getting across the street. He eventually, his name was Alex Wilson. He actually died of injuries sustained that day. And what I wanted to get across in that piece of footage was his dignity the dignity with which he went about crossing the street in the midst of such violence and hate. And, and so it was those decisions that we had to make, you know, where to cut, what are we trying to say with it? Do we show him be um, more physically harmed? Does that get the point across more vigorously or do you cut it, you know, when, you know, he just picks up the hat and puts it on for the last time? So those are the decisions editorially and it was a, it was a tough job. Yeah, he's wearing a suit, he has a hat, he gets kicked in the back. Yeah. He, as he's crossing the street, yeah, yeah. a white he tries man to pick it up, yep. and then another, you know, every time he picks up his hat, they, yeah. So we show it twice in the film. It was, uh, it's the most uh, emotional piece of footage that we have for me. We look through a lot of things, but it was, uh, that's the one that every time I look at it, I can still, you know, get emotional and choked up about. You said it wasn't healthy for you. No, 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 no. That's why I'm so happy to be working on a project now where I'm doing costumes and fairies and things fly and working with kids. And, you know, it's like a, a self, wrinkle in time. A wrinkle in time, like a self-care <laughs> moment, you know, because right after Selma going into this, um, you know, in Selma I had to stage beatings and murders and, you know, people spitting in faces and, you know, um, you know, there was a funeral scenes in Selma. There was, you know, a lot of staging that and asking actors to do that and then turning around and jumping right into 
13th. Um, it's been, you know, about four years of consuming traumatic images and creating traumatic images for a greater good. And so I'm really happy this <laughs> at the present moment to be working on something a little lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is the last question because yeah. I know you have to go. I'm eager to ask you about what you said a couple of weeks ago. I was at the event. Um, it was at the somebody who works at Netflix. Ted Sarandos? Yes. Yes, yes. It was at his house. Yes. And Oprah was interviewing you and commentator Van Jones. Yes. You were both on stage. Van Jones is in your film, The 13th. Yes. And uh, Van said something about, you know, we really need to dialogue with Trump supporters. Even if we don't agree with what he does, we really need to sit down and talk to them and break bread with them right. and you said something very different and I thought it was really powerful and I was wondering if you could elaborate on that for our listeners mm -hmm. yeah I disagree with it you know I think people who are like-minded can disagree about the way forward Vans you know uh, really focused on sitting down with these folks who support Trump and figuring out why and trying to create reconciliation and a bridge to understanding and I respect it um, I won't be spending my time doing that I'm trying to uh, survive promote an understanding of ourselves arm ourselves people People who think differently to defend against some of the really, really insidious policies, behavior that is going to be invading our daily life. Uh, Toni Morrison, who I quoted in the film, talks about trying to persuade racists of the value of your humanity is a useless exercise. And your best way to teach anyone if that's what you want to do is to live, live well and live fully. And for people of color and women, often just doing that is enough. So to be asked as a marginalized person to teach other people why you have value, why your life matters, is um, something that may work for some, but it doesn't work for me. And what are you doing instead? <laughs> I'm making movies. <laughs> I'm making movies that tell the story, uh, you know, of who we are, of our gloriousness, you know, just celebrating our humanity as opposed to explaining it and holding hands about it. You know, we expound on who we are through stories, through through news, through um, making our voices heard in all kinds of ways, through protest. That's very different than having to sit down and explain to a racist why they should not be racist. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. That was Ava DuVernay, whose documentary 13th is on Netflix and was nominated for an Oscar. When we come back, we sit down with another acclaimed documentary filmmaker, one of the people behind the James Baldwin documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. It's in theaters now. Support for NPR and the following message come from Newsy. Newsy offers a fresh take on what's happening in the world through quick, smart, candid video news. Newsy is passionate about context, solutions, and challenging bias to bring facts, not speculation, to its video news coverage. Visit Newsy.com watch for the latest. I'm Linda Holmes from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. What has pointy ears, a cape, a huge ego, and knees that don't bend? That's right. Lego Batman. To get the skinny on his new movie and lots of other good stuff to watch and read, find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or at npr.org slash podcasts. All right, y'all. So we've been doing this podcast now for about eight months, right, Shireen? Yes, it's almost ruined my marriage because <laughs> it's so much work. <laughs> but we're here. We out here. <laughs> and we'd love to know what you think of it. Please take a few minutes to go to npr.org slash codeswitch survey to answer some questions. It would really help us out. Yeah, it would. All right, back to the show. 
All right, we're back. Joining us now is Nolan Walker. He's a Peabody Award-winning documentary producer and director. He's also the senior content director at the Independent Television Service. Welcome to Code Switch, Nolan. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for coming on. Yes, thank yeah. you very much. And congratulations are in order. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. Your film, well, the ITVS funded and co-produced documentary, I'm Not Your Negro, got an Oscar nod for Best Feature Doc, and director Raul Peck's film uses James Baldwin's own words from his interviews and his writings, and I watched the film and it feels so relevant right now. I'm terrified at the moral apathy, the death of the heart, which is happening in my country. These people have deluded themselves for so long that they really don't think I'm human. Why did you decide to support the film? We decided to support I Am Not Your Negro because we believe in Raoul Peck as a filmmaker. Uh, James Baldwin was a person who had incredible insight into American life. He was poor, black, queer, short, not conventionally handsome. He saw the world a lot of different ways. And he was also one of those kind of people who, unless you knew he was James Baldwin, people tend to ignore in a room. Hmm. But he's there soaking in everything. And he was brilliant, literally a genius. And he was able to show the country who it really was, even when the country didn't want to hear it. There are days, this is one of them, when you wonder how you're going to communicate to the vast, heedless, unthinking, cruel, white majority that you are here. I am not your Negro. And you have created this persona, this guise, this costume for me to wear, but it's not who I am. And you have to ask yourself why you created it, not who am I, who are you? And that is the thing that is just stunning about the film. Shireen just talked to Ava DuVernay. She's one of the other people whose film is nominated for uh, the Best Documentary category at the Oscars for 13th. Ezra Edelman, who was on the podcast not long ago, uh, for OJ's Made in America. Uh, Roger Ross Williams for Life Animated. And of course, uh, I'm Not Your Negro, which is the ICVS film. So, like, are things changing in your estimation? Are we seeing more diversity in who gets recognized by the Academy in a category like this? Or do you think this is just sort of a like the pendulum swinging? This is the Academy correcting from like the Oscar so white campaigns in recent years? I'm not in the Academy and I, d- and I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, Cheryl Boone Isaacs brought in 700 new members. I know a lot of those new members. Okay. Uh, they are women. They are people of color. They are younger. And so that's a different group of people coming in. And they're, you know, from different parts of the country outside of Los Angeles. And so those are, those are really different ways of seeing the world, different sure. life experiences, all of those things. So I think those things contributed. You know, documentary has long been more diverse. Why is that? Well, I think, honestly, I mean, I started in film in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was Bill Cosby. Spike Lee had just made She's Gotta Have It. And Robert Townsend was just about to release uh, Hollywood, Hollywood Shuffle. Shuffle. Mm-hmm. And then there was Eyes on the Prize, the great PBS documentary series. Yeah. Uh, Which you were a production assistant on. <laughs> I was a production assistant and an assistant editor on the second installation. And some of it is different platforms. Some of it, I think, is a, is a public's real hunger to see stories that really deal with the world we're in and with the lives we lead, right? And it's not different than the reason scripted television has taken off. You know, I, I once had the great uh, pleasure of sitting down with uh, 
Eamon Walker, uh, the great actor from Oz who played Sharif. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about doing dark subject matter and uh, heavy subject matter, rather. And, you know, he was on Oz and I had just finished a film about Jonestown and People's Temple with Stanley Nelson. And he said to me, yeah, but you're walking around in real people's lives, right? And that's a difference. Nolan, you've made your own documentaries and a lot of them are about race or have been about race and racism in America. And I Mm -hmm. asked Ava this question about working on the 13th, and now I want to ask you the same question. Um, How much racist footage and footage of brutality have you watched over the years, do you think? (laughs) Um, You know, before I watched a frame of footage around brutality or anything else, um... I grew up in the 70s and 80s in post-segregation Memphis, Tennessee. And from the time I was nine years old to the time I was 18 years old, I had every epithet and every object you can name thrown at me from a moving car. I did not need a career in documentary films to teach me about violence, fear, and narrowness. So why did you bring more of that into your life by, you know, making it part of your career. Yeah, are you some kind of masochist? Yes. <laughs> no, I, I, I think another story from that era, we'd reverse migrated from Chicago to Memphis. Huh. And I had been a baseball lover. But when I got to Memphis, all my friends were playing football. We got the name of the sporting goods store you were supposed to go to. My mother took me. We went to the right sporting goods store. Um, wrong table. And... <laughs> On team assignment day, I found out that we were integrating the Parkway Village uh, (laughs) football league. Yes, 399 uh, white kids and me. And it was an incredible experience. Incredible. Is that like a euphemism or like? Challenging on many levels, even within my own team. (laughs) I remember coming home that afternoon after sign-up day and sitting with my parents in, in the den, and they were backlit against the the windows and they were just like these two figures looking down at me and my father said you don't have to do this you don't have Mm -hmm. to do this but something in me said yes I do right and I got my only championship out of it too (laughs) you know (laughs) so I think that's why what kind of conversations do you have with you know other filmmakers of color other documentarians um, other people working documentary film about handling this kind of stuff I think when you're talking to filmmakers of any kind black white Latino Asian, Native, whether they're making films about a big topic or a very small personal topic, all of this is about communication. You know, if you're building a big fortress of indictment (laughs) Mm -hmm. or a small flower, right, you have to put a door on there or a ladder on there or a way so that people can find their way into the story and into Mm -hmm. the lives of the people that you're talking about. Why documentaries? What's the goal for you in making documentaries and now supporting documentaries financially? Yes. Um, We can never know what we mean to one another. And in some ways, there's no piece of media that is irrefutable now. (laughs) But there's something about looking at footage and saying, that's happened, or hearing the voice of whether it's Thomas Edison or Angela Davis. And so you're putting out these things that are on a certain level, a message in a bottle. And you're looking to connect with people in a certain kind of way that has real meaning in their lives. You are obviously biased because a movie that you were associated with has been nominated. But um, if that wasn't the case, and just yes. between friends, <laughs> which doc 
uh, that was nominated for an Oscar, which you be rooting for? <laughs> I can't talk about. I know all of. The, I I Come have on, connections. Nolan. I, yeah, you know what I mean. Okay, safe space. No, honestly, uh, we screened "I Am Not Your Negro" on Election Day, which was a great. Ooh, that's that's too much. <laughs> it meant something different at the end of the day than it did at the beginning. Of the day. <laughs> yeah, but. And I said, "That's the best picture of the year." Period. That's the best picture of the year. Now, if you remove I Am Not Your Negro, Mm -hmm. um, let me just say who I think is going to (laughs) win. I think Ezra Edelman's going to take it. I think so. Because, yeah, because OJ is such one of those stories that people think they know, Mm -hmm. but they have no idea. Or it's also one of those stories that plays with your recollection of what happened versus what really happened. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's brilliant. That's, you know, that's the bridge across the synaptic gaps right there, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's such a Los Angeles story and such a larger cultural story. And O.J. O. Simpson is such an enigma, or was before this film, in a certain kind of way. Whereas James Baldwin was saying, I am not your Negro. O.J. was saying, I am very I am much your Negro. Negro. Right. I am very much your Negro, mm-hmm. until he wasn't saying that. Yeah. And I think that is gets to the heart of something that is really powerful in the American culture, history, psyche, imagination. Okay, so you've been talking about this hunger, this thirst for documentary film, but do you think people are kind of being pounded over the head with reality in this political moment that we're in and maybe they're thirsting for an escape? I think that's possible. If you listen to the critics and pundits, La La Land is in the uh, front seat for... um, for best picture, you know? And it's one of those things where, on one level, Hollywood, a very liberal and energized community, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. is saying now more than ever. And on the other hand, they're saying La La Land. (laughs) So, (laughs) right. (laughs) Those are two, you know, disparate things. But, you know, we like disparate things in this country (laughs) (laughs) and in this culture. But I think reality, there's nothing more full of wonder than our reality. Nolan Walker is from the Independent Television Service. He's won a Peabody Award. He's won an Emmy. And I Am Not Your Negro, a movie that ITVS has co-produced, is up for an Oscar. Thank you, Nolan. Great talking with you. All right, so for the last two weeks, we shared some music that was giving us life in these tumultuous times. Shireen was feeling Kendrick. I was listening to Kanye, or at least the chance part of Kanye. <laughs> and so this week, we decided to pick the brain of our teammate, Leah Danella. She's an editorial assistant at Code Switch to see what she was listening to. What's good, Leah? Hey, Leah. Hey. Finally on the podcast. <laughs> Finally. Um, so the song I chose is called Road to Zion. It's by Damian Marley and Nas. In this world of calamity, dirty looks and grudges and jealousy. And police where you abuse their maturity. Be the clowns when I know about variety. I really like it because the message is kind of like you're walking towards something, but it's big enough that you could be thinking about anything. So mm-hmm. any kind of struggle or like bad thing that's happening in your life, you got to just like walk away from the bad and to the good. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. That's our show. We want to hear from you. Our email address is codeswitch at npr.org. You can follow us on Twitter at NPR Codeswitch. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found. Sammy Yenigan produced this episode with original music by Rob Chambers. 
A shout out to the rest of the Code Switch team, Adrian and Florido, Karen Grigsby Bates, Kat Chow, Lee Danello, who you just heard, and George and Cenas. Our editors are Neda Ulibi and Juleka Lantigua-Williams. And a special shout out this week to the NPR librarians who helped us fact check this episode. Woot. I'm Shireen Marisol Maraji. And I'm Gene Demby. Be easy. Peace. Take Code Switch and more with you on the NPR One app. NPR One finds you the best from public radio and beyond. Surprising interviews, your favorite podcasts, and now an easy way to listen to your favorite station live. NPR One is ready to make driving, commuting, and cleaning the house better, Shireen. Mm, That's a tough thing to do. (laughs) Find NPR One on your app store.